2: A spin and toss, Ingram makes a man miss, diving,
0: touchdown, what an effort. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf, and Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens, and running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and a three, checks and himself, look at him, turn back and forth, oh! Broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage and he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback Lamar Jackson.
3: Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Baltimore back on the right track with a 31 17 victory over the football team of Washington, D.C. Excited to talk about it here. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going, man? It's
2: good, man. It's it's weird to get back to ho-hum Ravens wins, you know? One of the, and we'll get into it, seems like one of the more, boring's the wrong word, but just kind of happened game. For the Ravens recently. so uh, but, but hey, it's in the win column. You can't complain about that, so I'm doing good.
3: And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you, man?
4: Uh, similar to Tim, I definitely wasn't uh, enthralled every second of the Ravens win, but it's always good to beat the football team uh, down there in Landover, Maryland. So, uh, you know, hard to complain. You beat a quote-unquote rival uh by 14 points it's hard to complain too much so uh you know had a good pretty pretty solid Sunday all things considered
3: yeah I I guess we're spoiled now as Ravens fans is that what this is because this game had more than five punts which is sort of unusual (laughs) for us we just expect points on every drive but yeah getting into this game Ravens I mean a comfortable win never really felt threatened a few punts uh right off the bat Um, back and forth and then the first really big play of the game was the Marlon Humphrey yet again forcing a fumble while tackling an offensive player and the Ravens turning that into a touchdown so I wanted to turn to you guys first of all how much do we love Marlon Humphrey
2: oh my god so much the most if you haven't obviously I'm sure you've heard at this point if you haven't heard Marlon Humphrey now the second richest quarterback in football signing a Ninety-eight point seven five million dollar extension last week, kind of a couple of days after uh, our episode aired. But some really, really great news that the Ravens fan base needed after that shellacking on Monday night a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. Now, um, yeah, if I didn't love Har- Marlon Humphrey enough, here's from the story at ESPN when they wrote about the extension a couple of days ago. He said, "Quote for me, being the highest paid guy was never really a factor, and that highest paid guy being Jalen Ramsey." He said. Continuing the quote, the biggest thing for me was staying a Raven. I remember when I first got here, me and Chris Moore used to joke around saying, Raven's for life. It's a very good feeling to actually be one. So I have another tab open, and that's the jersey being purchased as we <laughs> speak because he is instantly becoming a favorite. And, I mean, this is what he does. His, his, his Twitter handle for a long time was Fruit Punch for a reason because the man knows how to create turnovers. <laughs> and, and that was a play that it seemed like they really needed in that moment in time as well.
4: Yeah, for this game, it was, because you mentioned it, Antonio, just kind of a sleepy start, some penalties, not a lot happening, uh, and it really jump-started it, and they go up 7-0, and again, maybe it's being spoiled or just faith in the Ravens or less faith in the team they were playing, but once they go up, I feel like I was never really (laughs) especially concerned they were going to lose the whole rest of the game, and certainly there were points they really put it away, but yeah to just have your big star that you just paid, you know, step up, show why you paid him, make a big play, get really get the momentum of the game going in the team's direction. Can't ask for more. That's why you pay these guys.
3: The Ravens did turn that fumble into a touchdown in two plays. Then a few other back-and-forth punts. The Washington, who were able to move the ball a little bit in the first half, get themselves in position for a field goal that just graciously hits the upright. Uh, in my opinion, one of the more predictable 50-yard-plus misses. I think the kicker had had never hit a 50-plus-yard yep. field goal, or he hadn't this season yet. Or
4: They uh, they had the stat. Uh, I forget who was on the call with James Lofton, but uh, he said uh, Andrew Catalan, maybe, but he said uh, Dustin Hopkins 52% from beyond 50 yards, and I was like, well, this is going to miss. And then it, it hit right off the upright, and yeah. He, that, had,
0: uh, not he had a
4: few...
3: Uh, sort of uh foreshadowing statements in that game we'll get to the the second one later on but uh was absolutely right about that field goal being a miss and it was the ravens then turned that into another touchdown with the great field position and we gotta we gotta talk about lamar here for a second with a 50 yard just from us is it becoming humdrum a 50 yard (laughs) rushing touchdown that when i saw it i was excited but I didn't. I don't know. I didn't jump up and down. I didn't run across the room, and yet it was an insane offensive play. Are we getting? Am I getting too accustomed to Lamar Jackson's talent?
2: Yeah, I need to show you some highlights from a couple years before he came, because, or just watch the football team every week. I mean, that's end of era, end of Flacco era Ravens offense right there, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I was ecstatic. I mean. Yeah, it's not it's not the, he is Houdini, and Andrew Catalan is no Kevin Harlan uh, on the play-by-play call there, so he's not really helping you get excited either. But, yeah, I mean, the run is spectacular. I think he went over 20 miles an hour. Uh, it was his fastest touchdown of his career, is what the, the Ravens social media account put out uh, on Monday. And one of the coolest parts about Lamar, and we're going to talk about some of the negatives, of course, um, because this game was so ho-hum. It's not like they dropped 50 on the football team, but – he makes the remarkable look ordinary sometimes. And I think we just have to sit there and appreciate that. I was, I was ecstatic for this run. Um, (laughs) You know, I didn't, I didn't have any of that. Oh, I guess, but I will say (laughs) kind of with, with Jace was talking about before though, you get up 14, nothing. And I'm usually kind of a skittish Ravens fan 14, nothing. I'm like, get me another beer. Let's have a good time because there is no way the football team is making any sort of comeback against, uh, against the Ravens now.
4: Yeah. The, for me, this one really sealed it. I'm a little with Antonio. I wouldn't say this is uh, in Lamar's top three runs. Probably. Which is about something. him. That's saying something about <laughs> right, him. Yeah. And it, this was the longest touchdown. Run, I believe just the longest run period, but the longest touchdown run of his career. Uh, but I think it, cause it was kind of like, he made that first cut, and then you're just like, there's just no one there in front of him. He just <laughs> sprints away from everyone. But, yeah, completely with you guys. Once he scored that, uh, it was kind of, I thought, game over. Um, or at least, certain not game over, but I certainly wasn't concerned anymore that a loss could be in the possibilities, I'd say. And, uh, you know, credit Lamar for that. They'd turn a short field, and he may make, you know, you... Ask your quarterback to. These are why he's special. He makes. He hadn't had a fantastic game by any means to that point, but he he pulls that uh just kind of massive play out of the out of the bag of tricks there, and uh, yeah, then the team's up fourteen nothing. So obviously a huge moment in the game, and uh, I think we'll once we run through how sort of the whole game happened, I think you reflect on the Ravens clearly won the big moments in this game, uh, and this was one of the big uh, big moments and big plays they made. It is crazy,
3: and it's not really a good thing, I guess, but that with this team, when they go up 7 nothing, 10 nothing, 14-7, we all think the game is pretty much over. And when they go down 7 nothing. 10 nothing 14 to seven. We're very much panicked and concerned that this team has no ability to come back because they just haven't had to do it a lot and they have not succeeded when the moment's called for it. So it was it was just a weird game against a bad team that yeah, even when Washington responds with a touchdown, a 10 play drive to cut it to 147, not really a ton of concern, uh, the Ravens end up scoring a touchdown on their next drive on what was the other. Uh, sort of foreshadowing moment by the uh, the announcing team is when on a fourth and I want to say fourth and nine uh, from the Washington 43 the Ravens run just in my opinion one of the more predictable fake punts that's part of the reason the announcers knew it because sort of what are you doing from the Washington 43 yard line if you're the Ravens like maybe you try to kick a field goal or you go for it so an awesome play on fourth down. What do you guys think about uh, Sam cook becoming the new backup quarterback of the Ravens over Lamar uh, or Griffin, the third, I should say.
4: I have to make a confession here. I did not see this play live. (laughs) I uh, did not uh, heed my many lessons of watching John Harbaugh football teams through the years. And when they went to fourth down, I said, I'm pretty hungry. So I went up uh, to go get myself uh, just a little, one of those small bags of pop tarts. And when I came back, the Ravens still had the ball and I said, what's up? <laughs> and I had to quickly, uh, go to the play by play and Twitter to find out what I missed. Uh, so that's on me. A uh, lesson learned, uh, never walk out on a pot, but, uh, I mean, sensational play by Sam cook. Uh, I mean, seven for seven now, uh, in his career passing, uh,
2: I mean, Jace, on that, yeah, let me let me <laughs> jump in because, one, I did see it live. Two, I wasn't expecting it, and 2A, I guess, on that is probably because I wasn't really listening to Andrew Catalan and James Lofton. They were part of the worst part of this game. Um, there's a reason that we were watching the football team and the D squad for CBS. Um, it's no Dan Dierdorf. It's no he who shall not be named DF initials, but it was not entertaining uh, in terms of in terms of the commentary, I will say you say 7 for 7. Sam Cook is now the most accurate passer in NFL history. This comes from baltimoreravens.com. <laughs> Bill Donkers was a quarterback for this that's a name for the St. Louis Cardinals in 1976 and 77 of players with at least five passes, he held the record for completion percentage, easy for me to say, at 100% at 6 for 6. Now that Cook is seven for seven, he's run seven fake punts in his career or completed them. I should say Uh, he is now the most accurate passer in NFL history. He's the best punter in the league. Congratulations to Sam cook. And you know, that's Harbaugh's background. That's just what he does. And he finds the right moments uh, that these things need to happen. Obviously we've talked about it at length last year as well. They're, they're one of the more aggressive teams in the NFL and against an inferior opponent, it worked out and, and was another early nail in the coffin of this game. Then, with under
3: two minutes to go, uh, Baltimore able to force a punt out of the Washington football team. They get the ball back, and you're thinking, uh, are they going to tr- they're going to do the classic score before halftime? Get the ball in the second half, and then Lamar Jackson makes really the the biggest mistake of the game for him. His first interception. Basically gifting Washington a field goal. They they started out in field goal range uh, and, and kick, get three points right before the end of half to make it twenty-one ten. We're gonna go back to that in a second, but I just want to say that the Ravens then come out in the second half, put a ten-play drive together, score a touchdown. All of a sudden it's twenty-eight to ten, and from there the game was, I mean, a, a snoozer basically. A lot of back and forth, uh, a few punts, a field goal from the Ravens, and the final score of thirty-one seventeen. Um, but I, let's go back to that Lamar Jackson interception, uh, and I want to get your guys' take, first of all, on was it hit a bad throw by him? Was it Boykin, who needs to be looking for the ball earlier? Um, and then, feel you know, what did you guys think of Lamar
2: overall? Uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I haven't admittedly gone back and watched it too many times outside of in the moment, but it was a bad throw. I mean, it looked like a straight-up bad throw in a moment where, we talk about like the, the dominance of the New England Patriots for years. They were so good at getting points on either side of halftime to just really extend out or gain a lead in some sort of capacity. And that was that was a game against Kansas City type throw. It was horrible. Um, overall, outside of the big run, I thought Lamar played pretty well. Um, with this as well, uh, some guys with, with ba- bounce back games kind of in the passing game. We haven't even mentioned it yet. Ronnie Stanley was out for this game of course chase young was out as well which helped uh, orlando brown an interesting move moved over to left tackle where he played in college i thought he did decently well and i mean even without chase young that is a very very good defensive line it's it's far and away maybe outside of terry mclaurin who i want to talk about a little bit as well the best part of this football team he's so fun to say and <laughs> i think orlando brown and his pass protection was pretty good on that left side. Um, I thought Lamar, again, sort of was a little ho hum in the passing game. I mean, you look at the final stats: fourteen to twenty-one, a buck ninety-three, two touchdowns, and in the interception that you mentioned, Antonio. Um, but his security blanket started catching balls again. Mark Andrews with three touchdown or three three catches, excuse me, uh, one of the or two touchdowns on those. Um, and the first one, I believe, was just. A beautiful ball from Lamar to find him in the back of the end zone. He had another great catch kind of off his back shoulder as well. Um, really, really good to see these guys, you know, even in sort of a ho-hum game against an inferior opponent, uh, they they responded. And, and the guys that needed, the guys who especially needed to make up ground after their performance in Kansas, or against Kansas City, I should say, did. And I, I thought, you know, overall, that was really, really good to see.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. It, certainly, well, I don't think it'll go in the the pantheon of Lamar Jackson games by any means. But uh, as Tim mentioned, that throw to Andrews, you know, going left, kind of throwing across his body, uh, right before uh, under two minutes to go to take a 21-7 lead, which is really when I I really was comfortable. But then, uh, it was a very bad throw. I you can Miles Boykin, you definitely want him to, uh, and that's what what James Lofton was saying on the call too you want your receiver to have a little more awareness and maybe get his head around sooner and at least be able to break it up. But if you're Lamar, you just can't, uh, especially against a team that's not good as Washington is. uh, You, you just have to protect the ball and you you're up 21 seven. You're getting the ball uh, to start the second half. I know you want points before the half and against the great teams. That's great. And we saw uh, against Cleveland, they were able to do that in a big way and uh, really seal that game in week one. But Against a team as bad as Washington, you just have to be careful with the ball and you're pretty much going to win. So that, that was really bad. But as we said, he more than made up for it. I thought he really picked it up after halftime, uh, too, because uh, like the whole team started kind of slow. And then, um, yeah, that first drive. Six minutes off the clock, touchdown, 28-10. That's for me when I said that is officially game over. I know I felt pretty confident the whole time, but 28-10 out the half, you take uh, almost half the third quarter to score. Uh, That was a great drive, and that strike to Andrews right up the same was very nice to see.
2: Yeah, we should mention, too, because we're talking about the passing game and his overall play. Lamar Jackson has become the fastest player to reach 5,000 passing yards and 2,000 rushing yards in NFL history, uh, obviously doing those combined and two and So it is 35th professional game. So long may it continue, um, on the offense too, because I know the second half was a little ho-hum. I mean, they put in the victory cigar, RG three relatively early. Like I, when I saw that, I kind of did a double take of, Oh man. A little the-
4: earlier than maybe I felt they should. Yeah. Same. Me <laughs> but- too.
2: I was like, the game's already over. The Sunday scaries are going to set in. I got to watch this guy play. Um, but on that, too, one guy, and they and they did mention this in the commentary, so I can't just rag on him the whole time, but uh, Gus Edwards has become the closer for this offense. He is the guy that you're going to bring against these bodies who are tired, who are worn down, and the last person they want to tackle, and ain't Mark Ingram, and ain't J.K. Dobbins, it's the Gus bus because he doesn't cut. He doesn't try and get <laughs> around you. He's going to go through you, and I thought it was interesting um, that he had the most carries, and that was very well distributed out. Uh, Gus had nine, Ingram eight, J.K. Dobbins five, Lamar added seven of his own, with RG three going three carries for three yards at the very end of the game there uh, as they're lighting the match. But I thought it was, I thought it was cool to see him get a, a bigger distribution um, and kind of play a role, because I love Gus Edwards. He's one of these guys that if we lose him in the offseason – I'm going to understand it. Clearly, you have the highly touted guy out of Ohio State coming. But Gus is – he's certainly going to make an amazing random raven one day. But I think he's <laughs> so vital for this offense because he is just a sledgehammer, man. And I've never, he, seen, I've never seen the guy fall backwards. And I, I have to imagine – I'll look it up here, Jace, while you take this point – I have to imagine his career average yards per carry is is over 4. It's got to be because it's he's
4: almost always to 5, getting... I think. Yeah. I love I'm right there with you. I love watching the Gus Bus run. When he gets rolling, I something about his strides, they're not cuz he's not got the the quick choppy steps really uh you know that we got used to with a guy like say jamal lewis who would (laughs) chop it up there for a while before plunging into the hole uh he just kind of he just takes off and goes forward and when uh he does bust past the line of scrimmage it's fun to watch i don't know i just i enjoy him too he's uh he's he's real he's real fun to it just yeah when it gets rolling he's there's few guys funner on the ravens to kind of watch so i will be heartbroken when they probably will move on from him but yeah, he's a great player, and I appreciate him being the closer because I like watching him, and him getting the ball more is in my best interest. <laughs>
2: right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, if he's getting the ball a lot, you know they're doing good things. Just real quickly, it's his third season in the league. He's already rushed for almost 1,600 yards in three seasons, which is, seems remarkable to me. 5.4 yard per carry average and 6.2 this season. So, you know, again, long may it continue because i got to love the Gus Bus. <laughs>
3: With the running back market the way it is, I think he has a better chance of getting a second deal from the Ravens than a guy like Mark Ingram. I I actually see this being a thing where maybe even at the end of this, I I love Mark, I think we all love Mark Ingram, but I could see at the end of this season, uh, if Dobbins fulfills sort of the starting role that you want, that it ends up being Dobbins and Edwards next year, as opposed to all three of them, if they have to make some sort of uh, cap adjustments. But I, I... want to keep this conversation about the running attack a little bit because as a team, so I thought this was very interesting, in a game the Ravens essentially dominated, they only split time of possession with Washington. They essentially had the same number of total yards. They had more turnovers than Washington, and they had significantly fewer first downs. A game, I guess, that should have been closer, but I want to talk about the rushing statistics specifically and how they sort of relate to the the flow of this offense and how the offensive line has looked because we've often spoken about how the 200 yards rushing is the barometer for this team to have owned their opponent basically. And they ended up having 32 carries for 144 yards, which is excellent. But if you take away that one 50 yarder from Lamar, you know, you end up rushing for less than a hundred yards. If you take away that one carry and it's still, will be, you know, in theory, 31 carries for, for less than hundred yards do you guys, is this just what it's going to look like for the Ravens based on the offensive line, based on Yanda not being there anymore as as the anchor of the line um, to, to turn, you know, can these numbers get better than what they are? Because we're four weeks in, and I, I think most viewers, the eye test is that the running game hasn't looked quite as dominant as it did last season, just vi- visually.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think I'm on the mind. Now, I think there certainly is room for improvement, right? Ronnie Stanley, we said, didn't play this game. He's one of the best tackles in the league. So, if he plays, and he's clearly been banged up pretty much every game, it seems like, this season. But uh, if he's healthy, I think that obviously goes a long way. But I do think uh, it, it's hard to underestimate, I guess, a guy like Marshall Yanda, who we think's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame. But... Uh, like he was that good he was a multi-time all pro multi several years of the pro Bowl, and i don't even necessarily think tyree phillips has done like a horrible job like you haven't noticed him just getting like blown off the line or anything but i think just with Skur coming back from just devastating injury and a rookie in place of a future hall of famer i think you're just gonna have a natural fall off and i think that's I think three, four games, we have to kind of chalk it up to what we see. I, you can argue, I guess, people are getting more used to defending the Ravens. Uh, but, you know, obviously, Lamar was still able to shake loose for a, the longest TD of his career there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think generally they're probably just going to find a little less success on the ground without Marshall Yonda this year. But I think that's where you have to lean or trust on a guy like Lamar Jackson kind of taking other aspects of his game to the next level to sort of compensate for
2: that right and I think the thing you heard uh last season was this was in a historic offense a historic rushing offense in particular and they were doing things that the league had never seen and they did the whole zig what everybody else zag type of thing and it caught a couple people off guard and because of that they know what they want to do and teams are going to try and exploit that and even if they can't do it that well I mean we were sitting there I thought the run game was pretty good. Uh, you know, I don't think it was incredible, but they still ran for 144 yards total between those guys. And you're sitting there, and it's maybe it's a little bit of a, we'll call it the Kansas City shakes, but it's first and ten, and, they inco- and it's an incomplete pass or something. And I'm going, I'm sounding like my dad for years and years now, going, run the ball. Run <laughs> the ball. Because they're still really, really good at it. Um, but all of that being said, too, Jace, you nailed it. I think this he, this season might be the thing that cements Marshall Yanda as a Hall of Fame player because <laughs> his loss has just been significant. We've seen it, like you mentioned, in the run game, even in the past game. This comes from Gordon McGinnis at Pro Football Focus who looks at the Ravens. Pressures allowed at right guard for the Ravens. Marshall Yanda, 10 pressures in 16 games last year. Tyree Phillips, 8 in 4 games in 2020 already. Um, you know It's expected, but it's still something that needs to be talked about in these big pressure moments, they're not going to have not only one of their fiercest leaders and road graders, but one of the best guards of all time and, and losing a guy like that and really replacing him with a third round draft pick is significant. It, it just, it is. And then, you know, factor in there's no Ronnie Stanley either, who is, you know, if not the best left tackle in football, certainly top three, top five, it's going to make it harder for you. So I'm certainly not worried about it. I more, worry more, and we don't have to do this again because we did it way too much last week, or we did it enough for my <laughs> liking, I'll say, is that they can't panic with the run game. Even if it's not going to be a historic 200 yards every single game type of thing, they have to keep establishing it because it is what they do best, and nobody in the league does it better.
4: Well, I just looked it up. It's funny. We are, I think, exactly what you said, Tim so used to the historic nature that was last year, literally something we haven't seen. The Ravens are fourth of the league in rushing yards per uh, total rushing yards right now. So they're still running the ball really well, Um, but it's certainly, you know, it's a step back. We no team had ever rushed for more yards. Now it looks like we'll be top five (laughs) maybe in the NFL in rushing this year. So that's significant, but it still doesn't mean they're bad at it. It just, they're not as good.
3: (laughs) Right. I'm looking through, the, tim you mentioned the the distribution of carries that was I, th- I think really well done this this week 7 9 8 and 5 among the four top runners and i you know this is i'm um, th- we're do- we're just embracing debate uh, uh, on the show today <laughs> but if i i'm looking at the high, the longs uh, the longest carries for each runner and i'm looking jk dobbins his long was 14 yards gus edwards long was 13 and then lamar's was 50 those three carries uh are 77 yards which leaves 29 carries on 67 yards for the rest of the game i mean I, th- it, I think it speaks to keep running the ball and that's where you get the long carries i think you know i would i would assume that gus edwards 13 yard carry came late in the game which is the whole point that you wear these teams down and then have uh have the the, the bigger carries toward the end but Would love to get Ronnie Stanley back on that offensive line, and I'm still calling Yonda, but he has not returned any calls. I think he's, like, biking the Grand Canyon still or something like that. Yeah, he'd have to gain
2: about 70 pounds to get back into his old football pads.
3: Probably not coming back. Um, All right, let's turn it to the other side now. Oh, boy. Um, Dwayne Haskins. This was a a tough game for me to watch as a guy who, you know, you like to see young quarterbacks grow and, and develop, but... I've never seen so many five-yard passes uh, in my life, and we lived through the Joe Flacco era. We lived through the post-Super Bowl, specifically Joe Flacco, check down Joe, <laughs> and I just did not see a lot uh, with Haskins in this game. Bubble screens, drag routes, in routes, everything, and, and except for that one long throw against the Ravens, like 27th corner in the fourth quarter to get his longest completion of the day. But what did you guys think of, uh, of Washington offensively Haskins and then how our defense sort of matched up with them? Yeah. Dwayne Haskins sucks. I mean,
2: that's just, that's the long (laughs) and short of it. It it really is. It it sounds, it sounds aggressive, but that's the problem they have. The defensive line is really, really good. They were missing chase young. They have some playmakers there. The offense. I loved what I saw from Gibson, the running back. I think that kid's a special player. Scary Terry McLaurin is very good as well. Ten scary Terry, scary Terry, ten receptions. He was scary. 118 yards along a 39. I mean, he that that guy is a player. I was watching it with a football team fan, and he kind of said, "He's like, yeah, this guy's legit, but we've seen enough from Haskins. He's too slow. He doesn't make his reads quick enough." Um, you know, th- we talked about it last week, and there was that video going around in training camp with, I believe, it was Thomas Davis, the veteran linebacker. And in camp, he was like, Haskins, you can't stare down your receivers, buddy. You can't stare them down. And Haskins kind of just shrugged him off and moved on. You know, it's as somebody who knows a lot of people who are football team fans. I certainly am not rooting for them by any stretch of the imagination. But I can see where the frustration is of there are these pieces building, but you don't have the one piece. And – you know jace i'll let you have your say on him before we get to the defense because i have a lot of thoughts on the defense too but yeah, what do you think about old dwayne haskins back i
4: i was wrong on him i thought he was going to be pretty good coming out of ohio state but i guess this is the thing right when you're at ohio state i mean they have terry mclaren they have uh you know all these other nfl pieces just surrounding this guy uh jk dobbins is, is running back uh they're exceptionally talented and that's going to beat most teams in the big 10 but you uh you take it up a level and he's just not good enough and you mentioned everything short it's clear to a degree the coaching staff does not trust him at all but the few times he attempted to go more than three yards past the line of scrimmage like he he just airmailed the ball usually uh he was really bad and (laughs) similarly to tim i know a lot of football team fans uh and yeah i thought haskins would be better i certainly liked him more than daniel jones turns out both those guys might just be bad in hindsight but uh <laughs> yeah he it was you mentioned late era joe flacco uh yeah it's if flacco never had a, an era where he passed long at all it really reminds me a lot of kyle bowler uh Haskins because with Bowler like he threw some picks but like his 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 biggest thing was just nothing happened and that seems like what is going on in Washington is Haskins just can't generate anything I mean you you mentioned uh the kind of the first down disparity uh Washington play had 14 more plays uh than the Ravens and actually generated less total yards. So they were just dink and dunk and not accomplishing anything. And the half, you know, a lot of those Ravens plays, several RG3 snaps at the end. So the Ravens just accomplished so much more with Lamar. <laughs> and like, they just hit the big plays versus. That was just, as you said, the biggest play, I looked up the corner McLaren beat, and who Haskins did make a pretty ball on that, but the corner literally doesn't have a photo on Ravens.com, the guy they beat. So, it's not what you want. (laughs) Um, They're not beating Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey when they're on the field, I'll say that, uh, with Dwayne Haskins. So it stinks for Washington fans and the team seems like they're good enough still currently in second place in the NFC East uh, that they're going to be good enough to not get that high draft pick. So I don't see them in the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields derby. So I don't know what they do. Maybe I don't know Alex Smith comes back and actually plays, but yeah, Haskins was bad. And uh, I, I, it's part of why I was confident pretty much in the Ravens going forward. That being said, was I frustrated that knowing the Ravens or knowing Washington was only going to throw short. The Ravens still allowed screen after screen, after screen infuriating. Yes. It bothered the heck out of me, especially in that first half. I'm like, he's not throwing deep, but at the end of the day, uh, you can't, You, I think this game proved you can't just dink and dunk and win in the NFL. The Ravens hit too many big plays and Washington just had absolutely no answers. Well,
2: Jace, let me ask you this then, because if I'm have to it up here. After, I mean, there's about 12 text messages in a row from the game here on the yeah, pod like a Raven. I, I try
4: to text you all so I don't tweet.
2: <laughs> and, and that, and that's fine. That's probably a good thing. Sometimes hitting send is the best.
3: We should, Tim, we should just give Jace the pod like a Raven account for like hour
2: long stretches during these games he and just can, see what happens. Hey, he can have it. He's got the password. He knows the password. Take it over. We'll do a hashtag Jace takeover during the games. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I can't find it exactly amidst. There, all there was some oh, tweets here I just said I it? was
4: out on Wink Martindale. Is yeah, yeah this is where I found to? it. Here we
2: go. Let's see. I'm officially off <laughs> Wink. I think. Dude doesn't adjust. Haskins is just going to throw screens all day and crossing routes. Need more zone? Question mark. So Jace Evans, I ask you. For the most part, we've been Wink stands for a year and some change. This is episode fifty, by the way, of Pod Arena. So happy birthday to us in some sort of fashion.
4: Are you off Wink? No, but I was very frustrated that first half. No, like, just seeing, it was like, he's not throwing deep. And I get, like, I don't know. There's always the threat he could connect. He has, certainly has the arm talent to hit a deep pass. But just watching after just getting destroyed with just blitz after blitz after blitz on Patrick Mahomes on Monday night. And then turning around and watching a QB who uh you know patrick mahomes has more talent than his pinky i think that Dwayne haskins has in his whole body at this point uh just watching a qb like haskins like we mentioned earlier they did have some success moving the ball especially early and uh to just watch that happen with just these screens i was like Someone's got to be in charge of stopping these screens, right? It just frustrated me, but ultimately it didn't really impact the game too much. And they did get after him, he's not the most mobile guy. And uh, Matthew Judon finally got on the sack sheet, uh, this game two sacks. I believe Harbaugh said five other QB hits. Uh, but you know, congrats to sacking Dwayne Haskins to that guy. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then the Haskins just, they go on that 17 play, 82-yard, 7-minute drive, and he takes one of the worst sacks I've ever seen on first and goal. He takes an 18-yard sack when they're down 18. You're just like, dude, like that's, that's what the thing's with Haskins. And so, you know, I think for, as it pertains to Wink and the defense, it's just things that worry me going against expert play callers like Andy Reid when they see that you're not adjusting to stuff and just hit that repeatedly. I think that's what I was frustrated with when I kept seeing these Haskins screens and crosses, but obviously in this game, it didn't bite them, but it's just something I'm concerned about for the future.
2: Yeah. I'll say, you know, I'm not out on wink. I I like the guy a lot and I can't, I can't flip after one game, especially a victory, but I am concerned about this defense. Um, They are 26th against the pass They are 10th against the run. They're still, I believe, top five or six in scoring defense. I don't think this defense is very good, at least compared to what a lot of people say. One, there is no pass rush whatsoever. Congratulations to Matt Judon. Got, Got your sacks. Great. But he hasn't had nothing the first three weeks, and there is nobody else there to generate pressure. Even when they're blitzing, they think we've got these guys out on an island. They can't generate pressure. Gleis Campbell has done brilliantly at knocking down some balls. He's good in run defense. I think Brandon Williams is pretty good in run defense as well. Obviously, Marlon Humphrey is a stud of a playmaker and arguably the best corner in the NFL. They have the pieces here. But overall, you know, anybody that's going to sit here and tell me that this this was, and we, we went off on this last week, but one of the best defenses in the NFL or ranked number one, yada, yada, yada doesn't know what they're talking about and are just purely looking at the numbers. And it pisses me off, frankly, because it's nowhere near, they're nowhere near that level of sort of an elite defense. I will say, not to be totally negative, a hell of a game from Patrick Queen. That guy is rounding into his own um, and finished with 12 tackles, nine of them solo, decleated a man with one arm on the goal line with both guys jumped up and he basically just knocked him backwards. Patty queen is showing a lot and he can again become another one of these really, really strong pieces, especially uh, after how Andy Reed basically picked him apart on Monday night. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed that was probably if I had to give out like a game ball for my personal favorite performance, it would be Patrick queen and what he did uh, on Sunday. I loved watching him play. And again, long may it continue.
4: Th- three tackles for loss and you know, this is just his fourth game in the NFL with no preseason. So I, I- I'm very uh, high on Patrick queen. I think his continued ascendance will probably do nothing but help this defense. Cause I'm with Tim. I just, there are concerns, but clearly he's seems like he's getting better and better. And again, not the greatest team, but these are the, you know, the types of performances you want to see from your first round pick, regardless kind of of the opponent. So yeah, big fan of that, uh, for sure. Um, I was happy when they drafted him. I'm even more happy that he's been playing great.
3: <laughs> yeah, just to f- finish up the conversation about the pass rush. I mean, we we, know, we knew it was a problem in the offseason. We saw it very quickly. They cannot get pressure with four. They can't really get pressure with five. They don't get pressure <laughs> a lot of the times. They don't get time. pressure when they blitz.
2: They don't get pressure when they blitz ever. It's and it's
3: just we talked about the additions. We were all very excited about the free agent additions on the defensive line because we thought they were sort of you know they weren't sort of in their prime stud pass rushers, but we thought maybe they could do a little bit of both. Uh, Derek Wolf at the moment. How many times have we heard his name called in any of these games? Whether rushing the passer or like making a play in the run game. Calais Campbell has been pretty good. Tim, as you mentioned, a few batted balls. But in terms of pass rush, there's been very, very little from him. When Matthew Judon leaves at the end of this season, there's going to be an even bigger hole because I, at this point they'll have zero starters who are legitimate pass rushers on this team. Their first four draft picks are going to have to be pass rushers and hope that that a few of them pan out. But that is a, a very big problem on this team that is probably only going to get worse and worse as we get later uh, later on in the season. Uh, sack Daddy got a sack uh, this week, so uh, Jalen Ferguson, it's on you to get another 12 of those before the season is up, yep. because somebody has to pick up the slack.
4: If, if I could just take a second here, if we're, say, uh, something that's bothering me, perhaps.
3: Something seems to be brewing <laughs> over in Los Angeles. I can feel a storm brewing.
4: Matt Judon is one of the most frustrating Ravens players I think I've ever had, like, we've ever had on the Ravens. He is talented, and it's these stupid games where he gets two sacks against Washington, and you're like, and then everyone's like, see, he is good. It's like... Do it against any team that matters, and then people cite, they're like, well, he only had five sacks this year, but and three of them were against the Raiders, but did you see his pressure numbers? I don't care about pressure numbers. Maybe this makes me Dave Gettleman, maybe this is my oldest old-school football guy thought, but... I want the quarterback on the ground. Ben Roethlisberger does not matter if you rush him. He's going to stand there, he's going to get drilled, and he's going to complete 80-yard passes to Antonio Brown like he did five years ago. Now it'll be Chase Claypool or Juju Smith-Schuster or some tight end I've never heard of. You need to get the quarterback on the ground, and Matthew Judon just does not do that, and then everyone rushes to his defense to say why he's good, actually. It's like, why? Because he hit Dwayne Haskins five times? Like... Do literally anything against Patrick Mahomes. Do literally anything against Ben Roethlisberger. I want to see sacks. <laughs> I don't. Pressures are great. Hitting the QBs great. How many times have we 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 watched Terrell Suggs and I love Terrell Suggs, but he would what made Terrell Suggs good hits and raps. But how many times has Ben Roethlisberger escaped from him? Like we've seen it for 15 years. I know I keep going back to the Ro- Roethlisberger, but this is the guy. Guys like him, Tom Brady, back when he was in his prime, sidestepped the blitz. You have to get guys who put the quarterback on the ground. The really great ones aren't impacted. Certainly Patrick Mahomes, who you're going to have to beat if you want to win a Super Bowl, are not impacted by just getting hit. He's going to be okay. you got to get him on the ground. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's my spiel on Judon. I'm not going to be upset when he leaves. I know there's so many Ravens defenders of, defenders of him in the analytics community, but he's my least least favorite player probably on the Ravens in terms of guys who are actually good at football, seemingly. I just, I I know they're going to have a drop-off and I'll be just complaining on this program next year about how the Pats rush is somehow even worse, but he infuriates me and I won't be upset when he signs who knows where next year?
2: I just want to let you know, Antonio. That was Jace. That was what's bothering Jace, not what's bothering Tim. <laughs> oh, but oh, I could I, I could, I could echo pretty much word for word what he just said there.
4: Oh, it's just pressures are great. The great quarterbacks don't care if you pressure them.
3: We haven't had that sort of dedicated "What's bothering Jace" segment. Uh, oh. I think since last season, we may need to bring it back now that yeah. we have game four g- tape for
4: Jace to get upset about <laughs> four games in there's things bubbling
3: <laughs> all right last few really last point that I have uh, on this Washington game and then we can move on to random raven with Jace Evans this week is just some of the bizarre play calling that Washington had in this game Jace you, you noted the go you know, even trying that 50 yard field goal in the first half when they're down seven nothing in a game they're gonna need points seemed like a strange call in the fourth quarter after that terrible Dwayne Haskins sack when they had a first and goal, they ended up with a fourth and goal from the 13. And they were down 18 <laughs> points. You need the two touchdowns and a field goal. Fourth and 13, basically, sort of seems like the time to, to take that field goal. And then count yourself lucky. Went for it, and uh, whoa, Haskins threw just a nice five-yard whoa. pass into the flat that didn't go anywhere. So... And then later in the—sorry, in sorry, Jace, with four <laughs> minutes left— 4th and 6 from their own 25, they just punted. They basically just conceded the game and then got a touchdown anyway, and suddenly it was a game <laughs> again. That you have to try to win. 4th and 6 is not a long play. I have no idea why they didn't go for it at that point. When they were down, I believe at that point, they are down three scores, probably three touchdowns. You got to go for it on 4th and 6. But strange call, uh, play calls from, from Washington late in that game.
4: On the 4th and 13, I kind of see the rationale just because... You've wasted so much time uh, to just end that drive in three points. Would be so disappointing, even though that is the right play, I think. And I think to some degree, like, if you're Ron Rivera, you're like, we're probably not winning this game, so might as well try to, you know, send a message, we're playing to win, we need a touchdown at some point anyway. Like, will we get closer? Who knows? But then to run the play they did and have Haskins throw it, like, four yards, I was just like... That that's what for me. I'm like, well, if you're gonna run the play, you gotta at least make sure all his receivers go to the end zone or something. Like <laughs> that that that's for me where they really lost me on that one. I was just like, it's like, how, you know, I mean, we we are the fan base who wants to watch fourth and twenty nine. I guess work out on a checkdown, but uh, you know, that was a once in a million play. I I, I wasn't I wasn't enamored. Yeah, with uh, what uh, Washington did there. Um, But I guess we do have to just say, clearly, obviously, Ron Rivera is personally dealing with a lot, too, right now, so the fact that he even coached is pretty remarkable to me, honestly. Um, That being said, uh, if it was him or Jack Del Rio, whoever was making these decisions, uh, the 4th and thirteen, that was especially baffling all the way around.
3: (laughs) Alright, enough of this game. Enough of Washington. Hopefully we don't have to play them for another several years. (laughs) Got the W, got out of DC. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw the uh, the buses actually on 95 because I was in Baltimore and then <laughs> was driving from Baltimore to DC and saw a, just a gigantic motorcycle escort of a bunch of buses going on 95 toward Baltimore. So I'm gonna assume that was the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, let's let's turn it now to. Uh, One of our favorite segments, and that's Random Raven. And it's Jace's turn this week. Jace, don't bring up uh, Matthew Judon quite yet, okay? He's still (laughs) on the team for now, so we need somebody else, please.
4: We have our favorite, the one-year Raven category. Uh, This defensive back spent just one season with the Ravens in 2014, signing as a free agent after four years with the St. Louis Rams. He played in all 16 games in his one season in Baltimore, making 14 starts. He had uh, one interception in the regular season and added another interception in a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, He he then moved on, where he spent four years with the Denver Broncos, starting every game for them in the playoffs en route to their Super Bowl 50 title. Then, final clue for now. uh, With Baltimore, the current free agent wore the number 24 currently sported by Marcus Peters. Seeing some puzzled looks. <laughs> mm.
0: 24.
2: I was thinking at first that you screwed up and you put a random Raven we've already had, but I know now that it's not that, and now I'm very confused. Uh, Jace, you wouldn't happen to have any uh, uh,
3: tackles numbers in that 2014 season, would you? Because that's going to be the answer for me. Not he, at all, uh, but...
4: What do we got here? He had 53 combined tackles, 37 solo. Alright, involved. Involved on the defense. He started 14 games. (laughs) Yeah, he played a lot. Uh, And uh, I don't know if this will help at all. He was originally an undrafted free agent out of South Carolina.
2: Oh, you know what? That helps not at all.
4: Does it? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. I was like, uh, no idea.
3: I have a name, but this I don't think. A lot of things. I don't think this player went to Denver next year, uh, the following (laughs) year. I don't think he had 53 tackles. This guy tended to miss tackles, so I don't know who that yeah. Who is. Yeah,
4: He played in the Super Bowl. The Denver Broncos Super Bowl 50 championship. And he was, he was with the Rams. Before. He was the with the Rams,
2: Rams for a long time.
4: That, All right, that well, makes will me try
2: want to...
3: that again. <laughs> that makes At me want to show. say Tommy
2: Polly, but that's definitely not it, because he doesn't even play defensive back. <laughs> also, wrong right.
3: completely. Well, thank you for that, Chase.
0: We uh, We will... <laughs> we will... We'll try to come up get, with a name.
4: We're getting, to, we're having to get to the deep cuts here, fellas. We're, we've been fifty episodes in there. There's been a lot of guys who have have had to mine. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's pivot <laughs> <laughs> woefully to the
3: NFL. We're uh, just a couple of quick news bits, and then we can go through some games uh, that maybe we paid the most attention to this weekend. First of all. Steelers Titans was supposed to be played this Sunday and was rescheduled because of the Titans having uh, multiple players and personnel test positive for COVID-19. We talked about that. The news had just come out when we recorded this last week, uh, but then that game, we thought the game was still going to be played or maybe bumped a day, but they actually pushed it several weeks. The Ravens are now, their bye week got moved by a week, and they will be playing the Steelers one week earlier than, uh, than anticipated in October.
4: Uh, later. Uh, one week later. One week the, later, excuse me. Ravens' bye got moved up.
3: Thank you. And then, uh, later on we found that just just Cam Newton also tested positive, and the Patriots-Chiefs game was also bumped from Sunday to, we're recording this on a Monday night, this game will kick off in, in just an hour or so. I have one question on this topic, because it's been discussed uh, on ESPN and the other networks ad nauseum, but... My only question is, how confident are you two guys that this problem is not going to just grow and grow and grow and grow and and that entire slates of games are going to have to be postponed in the next two months?
2: Yeah, just quickly, uh, not very confident. I think this is going to be a very big problem. Uh, We've seen other sports, both here and abroad, use bubbles um, and put everybody in a single location, or it was at a time when... They had, as it was called, like in the Premier League, Project Restart, where everything was very, very quarantined. And that is not really the case right now um, where we're at. And, you know, there was an interesting – I was listening to a podcast today. They brought up an interesting point, which you almost wish they kind of planned better for this. They've already said they're more than willing to push the Super Bowl back to March, uh, you know, if they have to. But why not have sort of – and I'm stealing this idea from the Bill Simmons podcast, so I'll just credit them here. But I thought it was interesting, so I figured we'd bring it up. Of They, did, they should have had a couple bye weeks. There was almost bye weeks for every team where we'd take a week off of football, and that way there's like two or three of them throughout the year, and that way you can adjust things if needed when, when this happens. Um, so, yeah, I'm just – in short, I'm not very confident. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more uh, reshuffling as we get going. Uh, later in the season
4: yeah for for me i'm surprised honestly it took a a quarter of the season into it to kind of run into this problem we you know didn't really have issues really with any team for at least widespread outbreaks and certainly the titans are the team that's been most hit at this point i on the cam newton thing it's weird to me that somehow he's the only guy that tested positive for it i guess that's a testament to, i don't know they, if they followed protocols the whole thing's very confusing right because the titans play the minnesota vikings and then i believe it was last monday or last tuesday was when i think tuesday when uh they shut down their facility um for people testing positive but then you wonder you're like you know f- what, a four to 14 day incubation period. And so you're like, if they test positive Tuesday, they definitely had it Sunday, but then no members of the Vikings tested. So it's all very strange. And like, uh, with most things we know about, or don't know really about this virus, it's, uh, a lot we don't know, uh, at this point. And so I'm surprised we made it this far into the season without it being an issue. I I don't really know how the Titans are also going to play this week. Uh, they're tentatively scheduled to, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the solution is. I think it's similar to like what Tim said, uh, in what you said, Antonio. It helps the NFL certainly that they are a the NFL by far the sports league that most people care about, and they could just say uh, we're taking like two weeks off between games so that like the season goes to like July and people would be fine with it because they just love football. Um, so they they of all leagues definitely have the most time to work with because they have the fewest games but uh yeah it's it's certainly a wake-up call at the very least for the league i'd say
3: lamar please wear a mask please just keep your circle of friends small raven's facility and home home to the raven's facility let's just do that for the next 14 13 weeks or so and then we'll ride this out together pod like a raven lamar we'll ride ride this thing out All right, let's turn quickly to the AFC North. Only two teams played, obviously, with the Steelers game being rescheduled. Both teams uh, who played uh, on Sunday won their games. Browns with a big win, I guess, uh, at (laughs) Dallas in a game that had 800 points scored. The Browns being responsible for 49 of those points. Baker Mayfield, two touchdowns. Uh, Kareem Hunt with two touchdowns. Uh, Jarvis Landry threw a touchdown to Odell Beckham Jr. Odell <laughs> Beckham just had so much excitement in that game that I'm sure we all love to see. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, thoughts on <laughs> Cleveland. First of all, winning, you know, on the road at, at Dallas, which even had <laughs> even had some fans. Um, and then the Browns' ability to score points, really. They've scored 35, 34, and now 49 points in their last three games. Do they have a chance to be legitimate uh AFC North contender
2: no because you have to show it to me first I'm not going to believe into the Brown believe in the Browns until you show it to me but for a positive for them they ran for a hundred more yards than they passed the ball your number one pick is a game manager he's not good enough to be a star in this league get him off my TV with every single commercial Baker figure it out the stadium isn't your home man you have a mansion (laughs) somewhere in Ohio uh, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, we talked about this before, and Kareem Hunt is now out with an MCL sprain. They've said it's going to be a few weeks. I, I saw Schefter, I believe, said four to six. Who knows? Um, with Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb? Excuse me, Nick Chubb. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. correct. Nick, Nick Chubb. He was placed on injured reserve, but he's expected to be back at some point this season. I think he is way better than Kareem Hunt, so that is a, that's definitely going to be a miss for me. But all that being said, they have to run the ball. Um, And I think if, you know, the one headed monster as it is, two headed monster when he comes back, run play action off of that Stefanski did it in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook. I think that's what they have to do to be successful. And if they continue to do that, I could see them being a good team and a tough team to deal with. The problem is. They've got a diva at quarterback and okay. at receiver, and they're going to demand that they throw the ball around, and that is not the best way for this team to win. So so that's my real question,
4: actually, with them, Tim, because uh, if they keep – I think that, to Stefanski's credit, he clearly – he was a run-first guy with the Vikings. He clearly likes to run the ball, um, and he – out to his credit, has realized very quickly that running the ball is the key to the Browns uh, winning games and having success on offense. Uh, it's, I guess, going to then turn to can he kind of, you know, keep all the egos from combusting, which certainly has proven hard with Odell Beckham in the past. But, uh no, I think it's hard to not be a little impressed with the Browns. Uh, I, they've scored 30 points in three straight games for the first time in 52 years. That was a stat I saw, uh, via our, my colleague, Nate Davis, um, the Cowboys allowed the most rushing yards they ever allowed, uh. And I guess on their side, they stink, but uh, are a horrible defense. So I'm not ready to anoint the Browns yet. Like some people were, especially when they were up 41-14, to 14, a little less anointing of the Browns when they allowed the Cowboys to cut it to a three-point game in the fourth quarter after taking a 41-14 lead into the fourth. Um, so they're certainly not a perfect team by any means, but uh, they're clearly improved and a lot better coach than they were under Freddie Kitchens.
3: A big test for them, finally. I mean, I guess we don't really know how good or bad this Cowboys team is, but a test uh, against the Indianapolis Colts uh, this Sunday uh, at home, so we'll see how they do there. And then uh, Joe Burrow, first win. He now has two losses, a tie, and now a win <laughs> to his NFL resume. As uh, they, uh, The Redskins beat the Jaguars this week 33-25. Thoughts on Joe Burrow? First of all, surviving uh, the season. <laughs> Does he make it to the end of the year? And another dude—he's thrown 300 yards, 300 passing yards in his last three games. Thoughts on uh,
4: Joe Burrow and Cincinnati? They're really asking him to wing it a lot. He—he uh, he has the most completions uh, through three games uh, of, or uh, through uh, more completions through four games than any player ever. Uh, and he's the first rookie to throw for at least 300 yards in three straight games. Uh, I don't know if Zach Taylor's a good coach, because I don't know that you should be asking your for your, your rookie QB to throw that much. Uh, especially when, like, their line stinks, but they have, like, Joe Mixon's a decent running back. They have, like, Giovanni Bernard still there. Like, they have some talent at the running back position, but they are just asking him to just throw and throw and throw. And so I don't know that that's great for his long-term health, especially behind that offensive line. And we'll get more to them in a minute, but uh, yeah, I mean, congrats to him. Hope he loses this week.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, that's the, that's the biggest thing is that they're asking him to do a lot. And because of it, he is taking some shots. Uh, And I'm not talking about him throwing the ball down the field. I'm talking about defenders hitting them or hitting him, excuse me, with their bodies. And it's, it's not ideal Uh, you know it's a bad comparison because i don't think this guy was ever going to be the talent that i think burrow is but a guy like kyle bowler his career was ruined early on because he got just destroyed behind a weaker offensive line and he got happy feet It, it, it and it's if he ever did have a chance who knows but it was completely ruined in those early years when he basically was a deer in the headlights and anytime you sent pressure at him, he looked at the pressure and not his receivers. I think Burrow has a lot more composure than that. I think Burrow obviously is way better than that. But if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm like, man, give the ball to Joe Mixon some more. He had 25 carries. Get that to 35, you know, and, and take the ball out of Burrow's hands a little bit. You want to see the guy slinging around. You, you, you know, spent the number one pick on him, but you cannot risk him this early, especially for a team that isn't going anywhere. Let's face it. To just get smacked around uh, game after game after game, I've watched I- I'll admit I didn't watch a ton of this game except watching back highlights and stuff, but I, I watched a few of the earlier Bengals games, and it- he's just taken shot after shot after shot because their offensive line is just bad. It is really, really bad, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but if the Ravens are getting pressure this weekend, i have no faith in them ever getting a sack ever again..
4: <laughs> oh, we'll just put it that way.
2: You mentioned Joe Mixon, those twenty five carries, hundred
3: and fifty one yards and two touchdowns. So yeah, let's let's see more well, next week I don't <laughs> want to see any Joe Mixon, and then the week after that you can give just feed Joe Mixon the ball until he gets until he's full. Elsewhere in the NFL, I don't wanna anger Tim, but it's a talking point. This is happening right now in the NFL. Tom Brady on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers threw five touchdowns and a pick six, but he threw five <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> in their win against the L.A. Chargers. Tampa now 3-1. and one. I mean, t- Brady does not look like the Brady of old. He looks older. He misses throws still. He's inaccurate with with, with deeper passes. But you, he still threw for 370
4: he, yards and, and he, five touchdowns he got, as he a 43-year-old. He got a roll on Sunday. Like, at one point, I think he had, like, 15 out of 16 completions. Like, once he threw that pick six, he kind of locked in. And they had a huge comeback. They came back from 17 down, uh... I mean Herbert had some monster throws in that game too. He's got a freaking cannon on him. And uh, I guess that was a known thing. His decision making always a little suspect. But yeah, that was actually one of the probably the best game of the day, uh, all told for what was a kind of uh so so slate. Um but yeah. Uh Tampa Bay, Tim. You're gonna have to talk about them. Their first place in the NFC South.
2: You know, I've been really impressed with Justin Herbert. Um <laughs> I think through the first couple weeks that I've watched him, I have always loved watching him play. I mean, in these – oh, I shouldn't say always. These, what, three games now that he's taken over? I I think the guy can play. Yeah, his decision-making isn't great. He makes one or two bad throws a game. But like you said, Jace, he's got a cannon attached to his right shoulder. And the dude just – maybe it's the powder blues as well, but it's like the AFL of the 70s. Just air it out. Let it fly. I mean, 20 for 25, 290, and three touchdowns. I love the way he played, and I think the Chargers... uh, I think the Chargers have a legit quarterback on their hands. I really do.
3: It's been a bizarre circumstance there where he shouldn't... Herbert should not even really be playing. This was a Tyrod Taylor team. Oh, boy. Walked right into that alliteration. And then... uh, with the, uh, took a pain-killing injection from a doctor. Yeah, he got that stabbed in, his in the lung. chest
2: by his own team doctor. That was and uh And
3: Tyrod, <laughs> that, that, that a doctor, big fan of Justin Herbert. He is nah. as big a fan of Herbert as Tim is. Knocked Tyrod right out of there for several weeks, and now it's going to be that classic case of, does Taylor get the team back I, he, when he, he, he is can't. ready to play, based on how good Herbert's looked.
4: I feel so bad, but you can't. Not as good as Herbert's playing, <laughs> and I don't know if that's going to, result in some kind of lawsuit from Tyrod. <laughs> it seems like he might have a medical malpractice case, at least, potentially. He lost his job uh, from something a doctor did. But, uh, yeah, I feel I feel bad for him. He seems like a great guy. People like Tyrod. But, yeah, Justin, this is why they made him the sixth overall pick. And I think the learning curve hasn't been quite as steep as maybe people anticipated, and you got to just keep rolling with him, I think.
3: Elsewhere in the... NFL, New Orleans Saints seem to be back on track, at least offensively. They had a big come-from-behind win against the Detroit Lions. Bills, 4-0. I feel like we've said this so many times. Bills, (laughs) 4-0. Bills, 6-0. And then it ends up stalling in the first round of the playoffs or even before that. And then my last note is Houston still winless, and they are now without a head coach and a GM with (laughs) the one firing of Bill O'Brien.
2: Thoughts, uh, guys, on, on anything else in the NFL that you want to go over? I mean, I'll just go quickly because I don't have a ton. One, um, I picked Carolina to go to the playoffs, and then I spent all this time talking about last week how great Kyler Murray is. you got to watch Kyler Murray. He's a, he's a lot of fun. He's the Lamar Jackson of the West. <laughs> uh, Arizona's fallen off a cliff, and the Carolina Panthers are 2-2. Two and two. So I still would love to take back my own playoff admission if I could. <laughs> but for now... Teddy Two Gloves looking okay with a a three-touchdown day there. And then outside of that, really, I just want to talk about the Texans. What a shambolic, shambolic decision to make that guy a head coach and a GM. There are very few people that can do it. You know what? There's one person who can do it, and that's Bill (laughs) Belichick. Nobody else should be allowed to do those two separate, different, and incredibly important jobs at the same time. And they had all the talent in the world, the Texans. They had Jadavion Clowney. They had J.J. Watt, injuries aside. They had DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. They had all these pieces. And Bill O'Brien ruined it. And now they are going to be stuck in mediocrity. They just paid a quarterback who probably will want to leave in one or two years (laughs) if they don't get any other support. Um, It's bad it's bad for the texans a team that was a perennial contender in the afc at least to you know at least to make a playoff run so it's it's surprising and we mentioned this off uh, off recording it's surprising that he's the first guy gone but i think it's the right
4: move <laughs> yeah i i'm exactly there with you it i the, the problem is and i actually think bill o'brien the coach is a decent coach you know he won what, three or four afc west or uh, afc south titles there um but it was Bill O'Brien, the GM, and you fire him now. The damage has already been done in that regard. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is not on this team anymore. For David Johnson in, like, a pick, it was a laughable trade. You trade a top five, top three wide receiver in this game for nothing, really. I mean, David Johnson was a great player. I don't know how great he is anymore, but... You, you do that trade, and then uh, I think the real cherry on top, they're 0-4, and, and I don't think it was the wrong decision to fire him, but like I said, damage done. They don't have a first-round pick or a second-round pick this year. It's uh, it's astounding. In the Laramie Tunsil trade, the Miami Dolphins have the Houston Texans first-round and second-round picks for a team that's currently 0-4 and, and now pretty much accepted they're playing out the string by firing the head coach and the GM. Um, it's... Uh, Tim, you, you guys mentioned there's a lot of talent to work with. Uh, it's it, it, might, it looks a little bleak, I think, at first blush, uh, stepping into that for the first year or two, but you could do a lot worse as a GM than building around Deshaun Watson. So I expect them to find a, a way to get on their feet. Um, but oh, what a disaster of a season. I mean, <laughs> just horrible in every way. And, The decision to make O'Brien the GM really was what did it all in, because I do think he's a good coach, but clearly the personnel side was not his forte.
3: You got to appreciate, though, uh, Bill O'Brien, you know, stimulating the job market. Uh, One firing is going to turn into two open jobs, most likely. So just a nice two-for-one ratio there. I don't think the Texans are going to make the same mistake by firing or by hiring one person to both of those jobs, but we will... uh, let you know, I guess, next week who they've <laughs> hired in the interim and then mm-hmm. what they plan to do from there. Because uh, I guess it's an attractive uh, job with the quarterback there, but not a lot else around it, Jace, as you mentioned. All right, let's turn now to the preview, Ravens preview against the Cincinnati Bengals coming off. Both teams coming off a win uh, last week. <laughs> Ravens, <laughs> Ravens currently... 13 and a half point favorites. They were 13 point favorites last week to against Washington on the road and covered. Now they're home. You get that extra half point. What do you guys think? Sort of first overall thoughts of uh, this Ravens game against Cincinnati. I mean, for me,
2: it's simple. This is, this might turn into another ho-hummer, but just get the win, get the victory, make it where it's again. It's like we talked about earlier in this episode, early third quarter. And we're all looking at each other like, all right, cool. I guess this game's over. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals give up 158 and a half yards per game on the ground. That's just on the ground. They also (laughs) give up 200 or excuse me, 243 through the air, but pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock. And then for me, it's simple. If you cannot get pressure against this offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals, then I don't see us getting picks the rest of the year. Jace, you went on it and you na- pick. Excuse me, uh, sacks. You nailed it perfectly with Judon. He loves showing up against the guys who you don't really care about. He loves getting the two sacks <laughs> against Washington. I want him to see. I want to see him have four in this game. You know, again, you're playing. I'm looking at this. It's Jonah Williams. Michael Jordan is their left guard. He's not big enough for that. Trey Hopkins. Fred Johnson and Bobby Hart are your starting offensive linemen. I've heard of zero of those players, and I like to think I follow <laughs> football you know, relatively decently. They have to get pressure. They have to force Burrow into some throws. And you know, if they're down early, if Burrow's throwing the ball around, you're going to get opportunities to hit him. So for me, it, it's, it's as simple as that. Do not make this game more complicated than it has to be because you're playing the worst team in the division.
4: And and that was uh, last year. I think you saw that between their two uh, contests. Um, the first one in Baltimore, you had that. They allowed a kick return on the opening drive. You had uh, Mark Andrews hurtling the ball away into a fumble right before half. Just don't make those kinds of mistakes. And that game was close. It ended up being a seven-point game at the end because uh, they didn't push some drives away. Second game, they beat them like 49-14 to 14 or something. Uh, I, and... Lamar Jackson, I think has, has he's historically had some really good rushing performances against the Bengals back when Marvin Lewis was the coach, now with uh, Zach Taylor. So I expect a huge rushing day. I think they're going to kind of get back to the bread and butter we've seen, especially if Ronnie Stanley's in there. Because um, I, I think, A, the Bengals still a bottom six pass uh, def, or rush defense team, like Tim mentioned, and still horrible at uh, stopping the run. And – yeah, on the other side, Burrow is talented. He's more talented than, uh, I'd say, Andy Dalton played that first game against the Ravens last year. But uh, I think the second one was Ryan Finley, maybe. He, uh, Burrow is way better than him. Uh, and uh, I think even compared to last week, uh, Joe Burrow's a lot better than Dwayne Haskins. I think it's already kind of fair to say, even this early into their young respective young careers. But... Um, yeah, you just can't let him start winging it around, basically. And uh, if they get behind, you got, you got to. You guys nailed it. Just pressure, pressure, pressure. This is the team. Bobby Hart. The only reason I know him is he's known as one of the worst right tackles in football. So um, they should uh, get. They they better get pressure. Jonah Williams was a first round pick, so he probably uh, he missed his rookie year. So he's probably their best lineman, but yeah otherwise it is it is bleak there, and they are letting him get lit up and the team's still not that talented. This team went two and 14 last year. That's not just a bad quarterback that's a that's a bad in all phases and I don't think Zach Taylor's all that great of a coach, honestly, but I think if the Ravens just similar, it might be a boring game similar to the game against Washington. but if they focus on what the Ravens do best and minimize mistakes, they should walk out I think with another relatively easy victory just because the talent level's so much greater.
3: That's it. I, I don't have really anything to add. I just see this as like a parabola game for Joe Burrow. I think he's frisky in the first few drives of the game. I think the Ravens just wear them down for the duration. Take a maybe a three score, four score lead, and then it's gonna be those last few drives to see whether Cincinnati can cover this thirteen and a half uh, <laughs> or not late. And you know that classic what we saw from Washington last week. That classic touchdown. Uh, that's, we, we were okay. All three of us were okay. But I think some people had that Washington game at minus 14, which was a painful way to to lose (laughs) that win. But yeah, I don't have much to add. I think the Ravens come out of this. I have them covering sort of cautiously, but covering (laughs) that thirteen and a half. it just seems like so many points, but they're at home. I think you guys have said it 200 rushing yards in the bag. Uh, and, and they really dictate here, uh, your guys final thoughts on, uh, Ravens, Bengals, and then your picks for that game?
2: Yeah, I'll just say it. I'll take people behind the curtain. I mean, Antonio, as the lead host of the show, does a great job preparing out sort of a rundown for us to talk about. Under Ravens, Bengals, he has stuff. (laughs) He completely (laughs) forgot that this game was a thing to talk about. I mean, but but that's what it is. (laughs) This this one is the epitome of do your job. And if you do your job, the Ravens are going to cover, and I believe they will, Antonio. I'm with you. Um, I'll just run through my other two real quickly. Uh, Real... Should mention anyway, I know Antonio is going to have some gloating to do, but I did win the Ravens last week. I won Seattle away to Miami, and I lost because I picked Dallas. And uh, guess what? Dallas stinks. They are really, really bad, and they were favored by 4.5 points. But this week, I'm going Ravens minus 13.5. I'm going Buffalo minus 1 away to Tennessee. I think Buffalo is just a better team than the Titans, and the Titans coming off all this COVID stuff. Who really knows? And if it's only a point game, I know it was a pick and in some other places. Give me Buffalo. Um, and then the other one I have is Indy. Minus two and a half away to the Cleveland Browns. Because you know what? The Browns showed up in a big game. That's step one for them. I still don't believe in the Browns. Um, and then without Nick Chubb, I think that's a massive loss. And I think Indianapolis is pretty good. Mo Alley-Cox has been the new Antonio Gates for Phil Rivers. <laughs> they have a legit defense uh, there in Indianapolis as well. So if they're only two and a half point favorites, I'm going to take that. And then just another one, I'm not picking this one, but it is worth looking at Houston minus 6.5 against Jacksonville, only because Jacksonville are bad, and this might be that new coach bounce where the guys are all like, well, the coach got fired, now we're all kind of playing for our lives, and they come out and maybe slam Jacksonville. So just worth looking at that Houston one as well.
4: And I don't know if they've officially said if it's him. I believe – a rumor, at least, was that Romeo Cornell might be the interim head coach for the Texans. Yeah. It, it, uh, Romeo Cornell, who has had success as an interim head coach in the past, not so much as the actual head coach. But I, I did not hit that at all, Tim. Uh, for me, I am also cautiously taking the Ravens minus 13 and a half. Uh, and for, some, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I think the Bengals are just better than Washington, Uh this this line seemed to jump out a little more to me, even though it's the exact same line and it's a home game. Uh, so the lack of travel, I think, helps. But, um, yeah, I think they just control what you can control and you should beat the Bengals pretty handily. I mean, they're clearly friskier and better, but they beat the Jags, who we all thought were uh, setting themselves up to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. And as it turns out, might be. Uh, after they beat the Colts, they have three straight losses. So... Yeah, I'm rolling with the Ravens. And then uh, some other picks. I know Tim won't acknowledge this one, but I'm picking Tampa Bay fresh off his five-and-a-half-point game uh, or uh, five-touchdown game. Tampa Bay minus five-and-a-half at the Chicago Bears, who looked horrible on offense yet again. I'm starting to think it might not be a Trubisky or a Nick Foles problem. It might be a Matt Nagy problem. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a take uh, or maybe both QBs are also bad. That's also a possibility. Um but I have not been impressed with the Bears. They're like the least impressive 3-1 team. And uh, say what you want. I mean, <laughs> Tom Brady's looked pretty good this year. Uh, like, okay, okay, okay. You know
2: what? Fine, fine. Let's make this concession. <laughs> Just start calling it Tampa. Stop with the Tampa bit. That's fine. You want to acknowledge him? We're going to bring it up every freaking week trademark. on a Ravens podcast. I thought I was done with him. He's out of the conference. He's down south. He's in the armpit of America, and yet we are still talking about him every single week. That is my biggest issue with this. So if we have to, if you're going to keep bringing it up, Tampa. Please, Tampa. Let's talk about their defense. Let's talk about Devin White and Levante David. Let's talk about those guys. (laughs) We love you, Florida listeners.
4: All two of you. (laughs) Speaking of uh, the NFC South, I am rolling with Teddy Two Gloves and the fighting Carolina Panthers. After two wins since they've lost Christian McCaffrey, they are, uh, three and a half point underdogs at the Atlanta Falcons who stink and are on the verge of firing their coach are probably going to give up, uh, 45 points to Aaron Rodgers, uh, on the night we record this, um, So I'm getting in early before Atlanta just looks horrible and falls to 0-4 and and the line shifts because they should not be favored against anyone. That defense stinks. They can't close a game. Uh, And the Panthers have looked pretty decent uh, the last few weeks. So I'm going with the Panthers as the three-and-a-half-point underdog to cover.
3: All right, I'm going to try not to gloat too, too much here. I'm only going to take try to do a minute here total. Uh, gambling is hard. It's very, very <laughs> difficult. And if you win, like, 55% of your picks, you tend to be doing pretty well. My picks on this show to start the season are currently 9-0. and If the Chiefs beat the Pats tonight, I get that tease from last week, I will be 10-0 and to start my uh, predictions for the season here. There's no way this doesn't go completely downhill, <laughs> but... I'm riding that confidence this week, and I have three picks: Ravens, as I mentioned, thirteen and a half. I'm I'm disagreeing with Tim here, and I'm going with the Browns over Indy, and that's really only. I mean, I'm not sure how much I believe in Cleveland. I, I did pick them as a wild card team to start the season, but this is really just they're getting points at home against an Indy team that I'm not sure how many points they can really score. And I just think this turns into a game that's close. The Browns maybe, you know, pull it out with the, with the clear win. But I just like that they're getting two and a half points here at home after putting up a ton of points their last three weeks. And then finally, I'm doing the three-team teaser. Love the teases. Six points. Tampa at Chicago. I'm putting them down. Jace, I like your five and a half, but I'm going to take the six-point tease. So they're going to be five point or point five, half a point. Dogs at Chicago. The Rams down from nine to three. They're going to be three point favorites at DC. And then this Pittsburgh game. They're playing Philadelphia this week. Pittsburgh has basically just gotten a bye this week, which I don't think anybody's, whatever, not a lot of people are paying attention to. They're going to have two weeks to prepare for this Philly team that's not good. They only beat the 49ers last week because their quarterback situation is a disaster. I'm teasing that line from 7 to minus 1. Pittsburgh at home, minus 1 against Philadelphia. Those are my three-team teasers. And then the Indy, the Browns Indy, and then the Ravens to cover 13.5. And, and I'll be back next week to talk about being 13-0 and 0 to start the season. No way that comes back to bite me. <laughs> Jace, why don't you hit us one more time with the, uh, oh boy, this random Raven, yeah. and we're going to take a stab at it before this we close a, up here. This is
4: a deep cut. Uh, This defense back spent just one season with the Ravens in 2014 after signing as a free agent after spending his first four years with the St. Louis Rams. He played in all 16 games in his one season in Baltimore, making 14 starts. And he had one interception during the regular season and then added another pick in a playoff game against the Steelers. He spent four seasons with the Broncos after leaving the Ravens, starting every game for Denver in the playoffs en route to their Super Bowl 50 title after the 2015 season. And then with Baltimore, the current free agent wore the number 24 currently sported by Marcus Peters.
2: Was Was St. Louis the only team before
4: Baltimore? Only team before Baltimore. At least in terms of, like, regular season games he played. Right, right. Have we said? Uh, I'm sorry. Now, have we said
3: he, he's a? He, uh, did you just say defensive back, or did you specify yes, a position? Yes, uh, he
2: is a safety. If, yeah. uh he's got to be a safety because for the Broncos, it would have been Talib, and Chris Harris would have been the corners. I
4: guess I assume. Uh, yes, that Probably. sounds right. So
2: I just don't. I and can't. The, I can't tell you who the safety is. It's not Raheem. out there in the in the no fly
4: zone, and it's not T.J. Ward, the other
2: safety. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
3: Oh, it's frustrating. Uh, all right, this well, team was good. This was a team that won. They won a, Super uh, Bowl. a playoff game. He now the Ravens, the Ravens uh, team, when he was yeah. on the Ravens, 2014 yes. was the. They were a good team that year. That was a and good their Achilles' heel was their secondary, and um, <laughs> all I can think about is Will Hill getting beat over and over and over again. But I don't think I'm pretty sure he did not wear uh 24. But I will just say Will Hill. It's not him, but Will Hill is my guess, and I'm annoyed that. I can't think of who this is. Before
2: you say it, if it's not Will Hill, can I get the first letter of his last name? S. Nah, who is it? That doesn't help.
4: <laughs> Darian Stewart.
2: Oh, Remember, gosh.
4: Oh, wow.
3: <laughs> Remember that guy? I do. Jace, that is a random <laughs> Raven. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what we're looking for uh, on the show for Random Ravens,
4: 14 game starter for your Baltimore Ravens in the past decade. I forgot, and then he, yeah, and then he went to Denver and won a ship with them, and then yeah, it was like good all of a sudden yeah. playing for Wade Phillips. Let me just
2: let me just I know we're running a bit long, but let me just quickly try and run you through the secondary that we have built with Random Ravens because it is it is a, a murderer's Pretty row. Pretty deep, I assume. Uh, let's see, we have Dewan Landry, probably the best guy on this list. Starts. We have Carrie Williams. We have starts we have Jim Leonard. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm going through the whole list. We have Jim Leonard. We have Will Demps, another legend. We have Chris Carr. Not so much. We have <laughs> Samari Roll, another great guy. We have Deion Sanders, a classic Corey <laughs> Ivy and Corey Graham. Both in here. Not great. The course. Haruki Nakamura, uh, Darian Stewart. I don't see Dwayne Starks in here, but he must have been early. We must have put, did him at some point. That makes sense. But, yeah. I mean, just just a a list of guys who were not Ed Reed, basically, for, <laughs> for Random yeah. Raven.
4: Yeah, things got uh, – we, we've called it the Dark Ages of Ravens football in the modern era. But, yeah, the post-Ed Reed, Ray Lewis years pre-Lamar Jackson – are a very strange time in franchise history in hindsight. But as Antonio said, 2014, that was one of probably the best team between last year's team and the Super Bowl team. I guess the 2018 team had more wins, but... uh, Or maybe the same amount of wins, but yeah. uh, (laughs) 2014, strange season. Joe Flacco's probably best season of his career. A few people, he threw 27 TDs that year. People don't remember that, but... Uh, all they do is complain about his contract after the Super Bowl, but he was good at least one year. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for him for that. <laughs> but, yeah, all right, Darren guys, Stewart.
3: That's going to do it for us this week. Look forward to talking with you guys next week after the Ravens matchup at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. For Jace Evans and Tim Horsey, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week.